Welcome back to the Decipher Podcast. My guest today is my old, old friend, Joe Grand, who many of you know as Kingpin, Hardware Hacker, uh, lots of different names. And uh, I've known Joe for a very long time, so this is going to be fun. Um, Joe, I was thinking about this after we decided to do the podcast about like what people know you as now. You know, so yeah. for like people our age, you're, you know, Kingpin from the loft. For like a slightly younger generation, you're the like DEFCON badge hacking guy, probably, you know, or maybe the dude they saw in prototype this like once right, upon a time. Right. <laughs> but now, like for the current generation, you're definitely the crypto hardware, crypto wallet hacking guy. I mean, that's yeah, that, that's <clears throat> a really interesting point. I never really thought about that. Um, yeah, I, I never really thought about that. Um, it's like different. Yeah, different groups of people. Maybe not different generations, but different groups of people. And it's funny because I, I, you know, with all the cryptocurrency, like wallet hacking stuff I've done, that that's not my proudest moment to be known for. You know? yeah. Like, I'm basically just still a hacker, just using my skills for this particular genre right now. Right. So it's. Um, it's definitely interesting that that's what people know me as and people expect a lot. Like that's what I'm noticing too, is being, is, are you recording video on this too? Nope. Just audio. Being like a YouTube, you know, celebrity in air quotes (laughs) where people see these videos and they, they kind of have this connection to you and they think, Oh, you know, nice guy. I'm going to have him do something for me. Like people expect you to do things for them. And hundreds and hundreds of emails. And a lot of them are like, can you do this for me? And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I can't like, it's just, there's too much other stuff going on. And like, sometimes people respond with like nasty things, you know, it's like, I'm not here necessarily to serve everybody. I want to serve certain people that need help. Sure. Um, But I'm doing this because I love doing it and because I want to do it. Not because I'm in service of, of of random person on the internet. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Random person on the internet probably doesn't understand like how much your time actually costs for like a normal project that you might do. That's not like trying to open up their crypto wallet. Like if you're doing some like professional hardware hacking project, like it's, it's not for, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it's not even the money, it's the time, right? It's like, I'm not getting any younger and it's like, I only want to spend the time doing things that are, are intellectually challenging, you know, technologically challenging and interesting and, stimulating for my brain um and something that justifies like being away from my family yeah like anytime i'm in the office i'm in my lab working on stuff i'm not hanging out with my kids especially during summer right so it's like i want to pick stuff that i want to do and if it happens to help somebody that is the added bonus um but it really is people yeah you know you become this sort of public i don't know but at the same time you know, I've gotten tons of, of responses that are like these amazing just emails and, and things of like, thanks for doing this. Like, this is cool. You've inspired me. So that also feels really good because I don't, I don't, um, I, I can't respond to, well, I don't respond to, you know, comments on Twitter. I don't respond to comments on YouTube. Yeah. Um, I used to try to respond to every email that people send me, 
Oh. But that has now been completely impossible. Also going back to that same thing of like, I don't want to spend my entire life answering email. Um, so I do appreciate all of the mail that has come in, uh, the good mail, the nice mail. <laughs> right. um, and very grateful for for all of those people that see, you know, see a benefit where they can say, oh, that's cool. I want to try to go hack something. I want to, I want to do what you do um, and do it my own way. Like there's a lot of those where people email me and they're like, I want to be a hacker. And I, when I was responding to every mail, I was like, all right, go find something you're interested in and like take it apart or mess with it or follow along with an existing project or watch some DEF CON talks or do whatever and start there. You know, like right. self-learning is so important, not can you do this for me? And that, yeah. that was what I was trying to impart like with emails when I was responding. And that's really what I try to do in all of the videos is not show like, look, Joe Grand is the master crypto hacker. <laughs> it's Joe Grand loves what he does and yeah. wants to share that with people. And that's, that's sort of the message that should be taken, uh, which, you know, a, a lot of times that's not the case. But when it is taken that way, like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, that's one of the things that's, that's definitely always struck me about you is how much you love what you do. Like, just it's the thing, you know, and you're you're lucky to do something that you love. So am I. But not everybody gets to do that. You know, we get to spend our time doing something that we really enjoy and, you know, are pretty good at, really good at in your case. Um, but, you know, not everybody's that lucky. So you get to pick and choose these projects that you really want to do. So, um, so how, Joe, how did that first crypto hacking wallet thing happen? It was a couple months ago now. I don't remember exactly when, but... I imagine you've gotten, because you have so much good YouTube content and a lot of subscribers, I imagine you get a lot of like weird emails like this. Like, can you help me hack my boyfriend's phone or all that kind of crap? Um, so how did yeah. you, like, how did that happen? And how did you decide like, okay, this is the one I'm going to take on? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, to, to answer the, the first question or the first comment you made anyway of like, yeah, we're super lucky to be able to, to do what we love in this, you know, hobby now turned into a gigantic industry, right? <laughs> yeah. Like being involved in, in, in cybersecurity or in hacking, um, it's a career now. And it wasn't, as we know, and we've talked about this before, like it wasn't a career path. Uh, so yeah, I mean, every day I think about that of like, this is amazing that I get to do what I love to do and, and make, make a living, right? I'm mm -hmm. not swimming in money, um, but that is that is not the goal for me, right? So it's, um, it was a conscious choice to, to do it this way and kind of try to stay independent and do, do what I can and do my trainings and try to, you know, have some sustainable income once in a while. And it's, it's amazing, right? I mean, it's totally lucky. And I, I completely acknowledge that a lot of people don't have that opportunity, um, to make it a career, which is fine. Also, if people, you know, as long as people are still interested in what they're doing and, and it might, you never know, like, that's what I tell my kids. It's like, you never know what's going to happen like you can yeah. you know you do what you love and if you continue doing what you love and you put your you know you put your love into it then something good will happen mm -hmm. even if you're working at a you know i mean I, i've worked at jobs too and like if you put in that same amount of love and energy to it something good will happen hopefully uh, or maybe you have to take a step and take a risk of of leaving to do something else which sure. given the way, you know, the state of the world now is probably is much different than when we were younger. And it's like, oh, I'm going to try a new job. I'm going to do a startup. Like you could still afford rent and totally. food and things at the same time. So that's kind of changed. But yeah, just a, a very, you know, every day, 
very grateful for, for being able to do what I love to do as much on my own terms as possible. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what led, you know, for me to answer this next question is I do get a lot of emails. So before the video, before these wallet hacking videos came out, I would get a handful of emails a week of somebody saying, yeah, can you hack X, you know, mm -hmm. whatever my, my wife's email, my yeah. phone, my this, my that. And because I was getting so few, I could usually respond and be like, no, I can't do that. Sorry. Or if somebody was like, can you hack my phone? I'm like, no, but maybe check out these resources. Um, and then there, there'd be some that were just so bonkers that I wouldn't respond to. <laughs> so I got this email from a guy that was like, Hey, you know, very well written and said, Hey, I, you know, invested in some cryptocurrency. I have, uh, I, I have a treasure one hardware wallet and I forgot the pin. I'd love to get the, the funds off. Um, you know, it looks like there's some existing research out there. Are you, are, are you able to help? And I almost ignored it. <laughs> um, but then my wife, who I, I was in the room when I was reading the, the email and she's like, Oh, that's, you know, it's kind of cool. Maybe you should respond to that. Yeah. It was still during COVID. So actually we, we, we filmed the hack a year ago in June. Oh, wow. And then we released the video in January. There was, um, it took a long time to, to edit all of the footage, but also we were, uh, we're lining up the kind of the article journal side. Cause we wanted to release an article that tells the story along with the video. Yeah. So that took some time to, to find the right people and figure all that out. Um, but it was still during kind of not lockdown, but still kind of COVID and, and not everybody was out and about like they are now. And she's like, I wasn't traveling for yep. teaching or anything. And she's like, you know, just respond and see what he's up to. You're not doing anything else. And, uh, nice. She's always the voice of reason, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, uh, she kind of sees the good in certain things and, and she has a different perspective, which you even see in the video that we made of how helpful that was. Um, so yeah, she's like, you know, why not? So I reached out to, to him and had a zoom call with him and he seemed totally legit. So I started going down the path of, of, of researching the device and, and yeah, there was some existing work on hacking the treasure done by some friends of mine. So wow. I was like, how hard could it be to replicate their work and it, it should be fine. And that's when I went into the three months of like, you know, complete learning curve of all of these like really amazing kind of hardware hacking techniques and learning the intricacies of all these different uh, problems that you have when hacking with these techniques and things that are, you know, you could give a, a conference talk about I hacked X, but when it's I hacked X and I only had one unit and I couldn't screw it up yeah. because it was the customers, like that's different, right? And that and that's the thing is is taking the existing knowledge of a vulnerability and exploiting that in a way that has the least amount of risk. That's mm -hmm. where the challenge was. Yeah, that that's the thing that jumped out at me about that particular video was like you kept saying, like, we really only have this chance. Like, are you totally sure that you want like if when I hit this enter key, like there's no turning back. Like if it doesn't work, we're fucked. It might work. We not totally sure. We hope it's going to work. But like, well, it, that's exactly right. So what we're doing is, <laughs> you know, a lot of times when you're if you come from a software background and you have some sort of script or some sort of malware exploit or whatever. If the, if the setup is correct, it will probably work. Mm -hmm. um, with fault injection, which is the technique that we were using, which you're basically affecting the internal logic of a chip to misbehave, 
even if you have everything exactly perfect, it still might not work or you might completely screw something up. Yeah. Um, so there's always that unknown aspect. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're screwing with physics at that, at that <laughs> point, right? You're like doing a, a brownout, like your power, you're turning the power off really fast to cause a problem. And, um, watching, watching that video recently, cause I had done a couple other treasures since then for other customers and watching that video again, I just can't believe how lucky we actually were to capture it because the ones I did after the, after the fact this past year, same versions of firmware or even earlier versions of firmware still vulnerable to this type of technique were not as easy. Oh, really? And it just wasn't working as well. And I was able to, to, to successfully inject the fault, but I wasn't getting the contents and this and that. And one of them, I actually permanently downgraded the security of the chip. <laughs> so as I was doing my fault injection, I corrupted some area of the register or of the, the flash memory location that was storing the state of security and downgraded it. Which is crazy. Like, it's awesome to know that I could do that, but scary at the same time, because it shows you when you're doing this type of technique, you can affect the chip. Mm -hmm. And it, like, say I did it on, on this device that had $2 million on it. And um, instead of corrupting the, the flash in a good way, I corrupted it in a bad way that then we could never get the contents out right. or it wiped the memory. So there was always that in the back of my head. And even today, and anytime I hack on something, even before then, you know, anytime yeah. I've hacked on something ever is, you know, it all sounds great. Everybody thinks you're a magician and can do all of, can do all of this magic stuff. But in reality, there's always something that can go wrong. And I wanted to set that expectation and make sure that everybody you know, that, that the customer knew that when we were filming, but everybody who subsequently watched the video yeah. knew also that uh, you just don't know. No matter how easy something ends up feeling or appearing, it, it might never be that way. And that's the same even with my, my most recent video, where, where it was a sim simpler electronics, but stuff can go wrong when you least expect it. Totally. Especially with hardware. I mean, you know, software, I expect nothing to work ever, but hardware, you know, there's a million different things that can go wrong. You know, the software, the firmware, the, the hardware itself, like any combination of those can just go, you know, go sideways. And, you know, the dude sitting next to you with the $2 million Bitcoin wallet is screwed. And he's just like, well, I mean, I assume yeah. you had those conversations with him ahead of time. You're like, listen, you know, <laughs> here's everything that can go wrong. One thing can go right. You know, no guarantees here. Yeah, I, I explained a little bit uh, um, to him in advance. He did want me to prove that I could do it with a couple other Trezor devices. Mm. So I bought a bunch and, you know, replicated the work and proved to him. And and I was trying a couple other, developing a couple other attacks in parallel to that, which I'm still working on as kind of alternates to to the one I did on, on the video. Okay. Because the one in the video was very specific to that version of firmware or earlier. And Trezor had patched the problem. So I wanted to have some backup options in case that one didn't work for whatever reason. Yeah. So I started working on some other ones that are lower level STM32 bootloader related attacks, which there's been some public work about some of that. And I have some other ideas of things that are related to basically be firm user firmware independent. Uh, and, and if the chip is vulnerable, which they are because the silicon itself is vulnerable, then we'll be able to, to deal with those. But it was... He, he had been following along with my process the whole time. Okay. And the good thing is he was 
not just a, a just a random dude who bought some Bitcoin. Like he is an entrepreneur. He studied as an engineer. Um, so he was the perfect okay. customer to sort of understand the process as, as, as I was developing it and understand the risks and be completely accepting of, of the, the options and what's going to happen because mm-hmm. he's, you know, he started companies and companies have failed and companies have succeeded and um, projects have failed and projects have succeeded. So he kind of knows, you know, he looked at it as like, all right, like we've done everything we possibly can to prep for this. We have the, the main attack. We have some backup attacks that are more risky. Uh, like, you know, we've done everything we, we could. Let's give it a shot. So it, it was a great it was a great opportunity to work with somebody like that instead of somebody who just expects it to work the first time. Yeah, right. And doesn't have context as to why it's so difficult and what the downside could be. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, for him, honestly, like it's kind of all upside. Like if it works, it's amazing. If it doesn't, he didn't, he, he wasn't going to get it anyway. Like right. it's all funny money until you actually get it. Right. Yeah. It, it you know, it's like a, a safe in the, in the ground that you lost the combination to. Like if somebody can open it, awesome. If not, like it's not really there. You, you just kind of have to ignore it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah. For him, he basically had said like, I'm, I'm, I, I uh, what do you say? He's like, I'm already over the fact that I've lost the money. Like he wasn't, oh, yeah. he didn't want to, ex- he didn't want to uh, kind of count his chickens before they, they hatch sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for him, it was basically just a, you know, a, a fun adventure to come here and bring the device and, and hope that it worked. And from, from my end, you know, it was a lot of time uh, kind of prepping for it, but the amount of stuff I learned in that time is, is priceless uh, to be able to, have the hands-on skills of learning fault injection, you know, voltage fault injection and electromagnetic fault injection and, and working with like low level bootloader stuff, like all sorts of things that, that I've done in, in bits and pieces, but never in such a concerted directed effort Yeah, uh, where there was like, you know, where I was really motivated, right? This was a good motivating factor for me to study this stuff. Um, so even if it would have ended up being nothing, which would have been a bummer, um, it still would have been worth it, uh, you know, for me to spend, to spend my time and, and energy on it because I, I learned so much and I can now share that with other people through classes and talks and other stuff. So I can kind of roll that up and, and keep that going and, and get other people now inspired in fault injection or other techniques, right? Like other hardware hacking things. So it really was a very interesting time. What my, what my challenge is now, because things are starting to open up and, and I'm doing more trainings and getting way more email and way more, you know, potential projects because of these videos. Now it's really like, how do I pick and choose the things? Like there's still stuff that I want to do that I just can't find a contiguous chunk of time to do. Yep. Um, but back at that time, the timing was just perfect to do it. And then the video too, like I wasn't planning on filming it. Uh, and once again, my wife came in one day and she's like, you need to film this. Like you need to show people what hacking like that Joe Grant can hack something because, <laughs> you know, for a long time it has been DEF CON badges. Yeah. It's been product development. It's been engineering. It hasn't really been hacking besides once in a while giving a talk and then doing my trainings. Um, but there hasn't, there hadn't really been a lot of public uh, um, videos of me hacking stuff. Right. I just haven't been sharing it. And she was like, you need to show this. Uh, and of course she was totally right. Of course she was. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so then we decided to, you know, 
I had a friend of mine, a former client who is a, a filmmaker and I reached out to him and he was like, oh, this is amazing. We got to film this. And then uh, Dan, the customer was totally into it. Awesome. So, uh, so my friend um, directed remotely from Los Angeles. We had him on an iPad and uh, I called up a, a cameraman friend of mine here in Portland who had filmed a, a, an episode of a video that I had made for Wired where I created a pizza compass, oh, yeah. which I think that the name of the, the, the video is like engineer builds compass that finds pizza or something like that. I remember that. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was super fun. That was another like crazy COVID project. But I called up that, that camera guy who's now a friend of mine. And I was like, Hey, do you want to film this? And we like basically planned it out. He was going to come here. Dan was going to fly here. Fred remotely was going to, you know, direct it to make sure we got the right setup for the cameras and all of this stuff. And then yeah. I basically was like, while I'm doing the work, don't bother me. Yep. Just film it from far away and don't get in my way. And then like, you know, he snuck in to do some close-ups and stuff, but it basically was like that followed the real, the real process. How long was, I, I know you did all that research like ahead of time before you started filming and like working on the actual wallet that you wanted to unlock. How long was the, just like that process, like once you actually started working on that wallet and filming it and all that. So that, that was, that attack was done in a single day. Oh, no shit. Wow. Yeah, so that okay. was, so he came, so that, so he came in, we unlocked the device or we, we opened the device, wired it up, ran it for three, four hours, whatever it was. And that was, that was that. Oh, dang. Okay, man. We, we did, um, we did some of the interviews, uh, at some of them beforehand and some of them after, but the process w was straight through. Like that was, that was the day. That's pretty wild. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, so lucky, so lucky that, and, and what's really funny is, is, um, in one of the interviews in the video, Keely, my wife was like, uh, well, of course I knew it was going to work. Like <laughs> he showed he could do it. And like, she just had this again, because coming from a non-technical perspective, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, he did it once he could do it again. Or I was like, I don't know about that. Yeah. Like, even though I could, even though I proved I could do it on three or four other devices, that still doesn't give me any confidence. Um, and, and it's still like, that was always in the back of my head. Like she had, she was like, well, of course you glitched at the right time and you got the stuff. So it should happen again. Um, but it, we, again, we didn't know, we didn't know what was going to happen. And just super lucky that it turned out the way it did, and that we caught the actual, you know, successful glitch on on screen. Yep. Uh, we had a GoPro running the whole time, but the fact that that Chase, our camera guy, was there with the good camera and everything when it happened. Yeah. And uh, and the fact that the contents showed up in RAM when I needed them, like all of it, just came together as a, as a really cool story. Uh, and then we took what we learned from that one and applied it to. The, the second video that we made that just came out last week, uh, that is a much different kind of storytelling yeah, and, and just a different, different process altogether, but still showing that real life, like really what it is like to be a hacker. And what I thought was interesting about the second one. So the first one was, you know, fault injection, this advanced technique, like people are starting to do it more and more because the tools are becoming more available and there's more resources and, and, and things like that. Yep. But it's still a very kind of new in the grand scheme of, of hardware hacking type of technique. The second video is very well-defined kind of robust procedures 
of you know JTAG and, and yeah. extracting contents from external memory through EMMC. Things that lots and lots and lots of people can do and have done for a really long time. So the the comments were interesting, which again I didn't read them, but Fred has <laughs> and and mentioned a couple of them where people are saying like, well, there's a different way to do it. You could do it this way and that way. And it's like, yes, there are lots of different ways for any hacking, right? There's lots sure. of different options of how you can hack something, different approaches, uh, which is the beauty of hacking because not everybody has to follow the same way. But I had thought of those other options and what we didn't show in the video of like, yeah, there was a concerted effort in why we were doing it the way we were doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, there, maybe there was an easier way that we could have brought it to a, a phone repair shop, but we don't know what they're doing to the phone. We lose control of it. We lose custody. They're running some magic script, uh, you know, that somebody wrote in Eastern Europe that sends some, some bytes through the USB port. Like we don't know what it's doing. Yeah. So as a hacker, I want to have control as much as I can of, of the target device um, and, and do my process. So that video in particular, I thought was interesting because it, it shows that there are more than, you know, there is more than one way to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but it also shows that a lot of people like to just come on and correct what you're doing. <laughs> That's the internet. No. <laughs> That's like a one way kind of thing. But like, I didn't, I can't, I'm not going to, I can't justify myself in every, you know, by, by responding no. to comments or doing something. But um, the way that I did it was an old school approach, but a very well-defined approach to hacking the system in a way that reduces the risk as much as possible. Right. Cause that's what it comes down to. Like I wasn't there to show off how fast I could do it or how simple it is. Like I wanted to do it in a way that if my first attempt failed, I had a backup option. If the backup option failed, I had another one. Mm -hmm. If we got the memory contents off of the, of the device, but then the device broke or it fell off the table or, you know, whatever it was, now I had other options because I had the memory so I could run it in an emulator. So there's yeah. all these things that go, that go into kind of devising an attack that a lot of people don't necessarily consider, but should consider if they're going through it. Like, I think that's maybe part of my engineering mindset is trying to, to, to craft out mitigation plans and contingency plans of like, yeah. if this doesn't work, have a backup. Yep. And again, because you're dealing with a, 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 a customer or a person with one device you want to make sure you don't screw it up. And if you do, that you maybe have a way to recover from that. Yeah. It, and like the backup options and all that. But I felt so bad for the for that guy. I don't, I mean, spoiler alert on the second video, but, <laughs> you know, he, unfortunately, like what he wanted to be there was not there. And he, it, you could tell in his mind, like he had already sort of, not spent that money, but he was like, yeah, I, I've got some ideas, you know, we're going to go to Disney or I forget what he said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like we'll go around the world. And like, yeah. what's funny is that, you know, at the end of that video when he was like, man, I was a millionaire, <laughs> uh, you know, for, in my head for a while. And that's, that's the thing is it, I mean, LeVar in that, in that story and his friend, John, like they were just so cool and so down to earth. Yeah. You know, when I first met them, I was like, that's our next video. Like showing this story, and we wanted to show more of a personal story, not the technology as much. Um, again, because the technology had been, you know, because it's a robust, it's an old phone. And like, yeah. I thought the story was way more interesting than, than the tech. Um, I agree. They were just so cool and so positive. Yeah. And he did really think that he had a, a ridiculous amount of money on there. And it just shows that the human 
human mind, like memory is very tricky. And, <laughs> and since talking, you know, doing that project, uh, before then and after we've dealt with other people that think they have a lot of money that don't, uh, you know, people forget their passwords all the time. They think it's something it's not. Yep. It's just what you remember is not really what happened a lot of times. And I people's was, perspectives are different. Even like me, you and I could be in the same room and we could have completely different stories about what happened, which totally. is why, you know, writing a book about the loft is going to be <laughs> basically seven different books because all of us had a different perspective. Um, but it's it true. is really like memory is really crazy like that. Yep. It's true. And I kind of wondered as I was watching that, I was like, well, I mean, I don't know a ton about how, you know, the Bitcoin transactions and all that work, but wouldn't there be some public record? Like he could have figured out like how much he had bought or, but he said he bought it from some guy, right? Like in a, in a parking lot or something. I don't remember. Yeah. So he, he bought it. He bought, he bought some crypto from a guy at Starbucks. <laughs> right, um, that's what it was. Crypto, and cryptocurrency. I know people are going to say it's not, it's crypto is crypto, cryptography. <laughs> yes. So yeah. So he bought some cryptocurrency. Um, at a Starbucks and he bought it, he, he, he transferred it directly to his phone. So he basically had, um, X amount of Bitcoin going to his phone. So as opposed to Dan, who has, you know, involved in technology and he knew his public address so he could prove that he had the money. Okay. Or like he moved the money onto his phone and like most people don't keep track of their public addresses. Like if somebody asked me, how, how much, you know, what my public address is for my wallet. Like, I have no idea. I'd have to go find it. So he basically transferred the money on and then it moved, it turns out, moved it around to a couple other places, but after like a month, never dealt with it again. So he just didn't know. And he was basically just assuming that the value, assuming the current value is based on what he put in at a certain point in time. Yeah. Uh, and so he was off by a couple of years and he was off by, a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. Right. Really between the, the time that he thought he bought it and the time he did buy it, Bitcoin had really gone up. Yep. So it changed the whole story, yeah. but nobody knew that. Like we didn't know that, but it was just such a worthwhile endeavor to try. Yep. And of course, you know, the end result was not what we expected, but still <laughs> worth watching the video. And, I totally when, agree. Yeah. When Keely watched it, she was bawling. Oh, dude, I, I, and, I definitely teared. I was like, oh man, these got, damn it. I was like, come on, Joe, like find something. Like, find, yeah, I, I like, know it there's, really makes you, it make, it, it's again, it's the human story and it yeah. makes you really want to connect with people. And, um, you know, I mean, he, he totally deserved anything that would have come from that, right? right? Like that type of guy was just a cool dude. And that's what made me want to help him, yep. you know, as opposed to some of the males I get. I can only imagine. Like, you know, yeah. We had, we had to turn one down. Uh, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't worth the effort at all. And they're like, karma's a bitch wait to see what happens, you know? And it's like, come on. What? No, like, get, get out of here with that. <laughs> yeah. Like I see some of the, you know, other security researchers and people we know in, you know, once in a while they'll post like direct messages that they get like from just random idiots on the internet that are like, can you hack my girlfriend's Facebook or can you do this? Can you do that? And they're like, no, you know, no, I'm not doing that. And they get same kind of responses, Joe. Like, yeah, see what comes around, goes around, all that kind of shit. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, 
Don't be a jerk. Know, I mean, really, that? somebody like that should be should be looking on their own and doing research on their own to figure out how to do it instead of kind of bad mouthing other Seriously. people expecting them to do stuff. But that's why when we when we find these customers that that we're dealing with, these people that we think we can help them, and they're cool, like that's what makes it really fun. It's got to be a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. Like when they're appreciative of like, oh, like that might not seem like a lot of money to you, but that has like completely changed my year. Yeah. Or like something that takes me, you know, 20 minutes to do sometimes. Like it really is kind of cool. It is. And I mean, you say that people kind of expect, you know, like Keely said, like it's magic. Like you you just do some stuff in the background and things happen. Like it to normal people, that's what it looks like. That's, you know, to me, that's what it looks like. I'm like, oh yeah, Joe's just doing some stuff on, you know, on his laptop and here comes $2 million in Bitcoin. Like, you know, to other people that are not engineers that it is essentially black magic, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of times it feels like black magic, even to me, like doing some of this stuff, like <laughs> yeah. the bulk injection and things where you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Um, but that's why, like, that's why I want to do more videos like this to kind of demystify the process and inspire other people to be able to do this same sort of thing instead of saying or showing like, yeah, this is super awesome hacker. Mm -hmm. Look how great I am. No one else can do it, right? Because that defeats the whole purpose. Like the whole thing about being a hacker, I think, is to do cool things, but then share that with other people, right? Totally. That's how it's always been for me. And, and that's what I learned at The Loft um, as a kid, right? So so that's really, the, that's really the goal of like letting people know like, yeah, it's hard. Like this is hard work. If you put your mind to it and, and you dedicate time to learn, you can do it too. Well, the cool thing to me is you said that, you know, trying to hack that Trezor wallet, like you spent three months essentially learning stuff that you didn't know before, which is kind of insane to me that there you had three months worth of stuff to learn, like you sure. know, yeah. <laughs> in your career. <laughs> like, had you looked at any of those wallets before any of that? Had you looked at those hardware wallets at all? No, so I hadn't looked at them at all. Um, okay. I just hadn't really paid attention to them. I just assumed they were just, you know, kind of a general purpose embedded system, mm -hmm. you know, microcontroller with some peripherals and stuff. Is that um, basically what they are? Which is what they are. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, there are some wallets from other vendors that are, that are more secure based on chips that they're using are more secure, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, stay tuned. But <laughs> in, in general, it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm one of the few people that actually admits that I don't know everything and I'm far from knowing everything. Yeah. And even being involved in electronics for as long as I have, there's tons of stuff I don't know. And there's, you know, tons of people out there that know way more about certain things than I do. And the, the quest for learning should always continue. Like if you ever get to the point you're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to learn anymore. Right. I know everything. Like then you're probably just done, right? Or you're burnt out or something. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, went into this like hungry because I had known about fault injection, um, but I never really dive dove into it. Oh, okay. Uh, and I had some help from Colin O'Flynn, who runs a company called New AE, who's you know longtime hacker, been involved in, in giving talks at Black Hat and DefCon, and he created a whole tool set um, called the Chip Whisperer that lets you do side channel power analysis and fault injection. So very complex tasks, but making them more accessible to people. Oh, wow. Um, he hooked me up and like sent me everything he had. 
And that's like cool to have friends like that, you know, and, and we paid them back when we freed the money. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, just a good opportunity to, to learn something new. And even with, even with the mobile phone on the second video, like I had learned some stuff about Android operating system. Like I hadn't worked, I hadn't worked with Android. Like that was cool. Um, learning about different, you know, password cracking techniques for software stuff. Like that's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, anything that interests me, I'm going to look into. And this was just like that opportunity of like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I, I didn't know anything about fault injection. Like let's, that's, that's let's, go learn. Me. let's go yeah. do it. Like, and, um, and I think that's, I think it should be true for everybody, right? There's, yeah, there's, yeah. And it's just like, I'm not ashamed to say that. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a constant, what is it? It's like, I'm a student of, a student of life. Right. A lifelong <laughs> learner. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to learn. Like I just helped my cousin build a, a new fence on the property. And I was never expecting to help him build a fence. Um, but he brought me along and like we bought the materials and uh i you know watched him i helped him you know put the posts in and he explained what he was doing and he showed me how to use the chop saw and all these things that i would never have done yep but there was this opportunity of like all right let's do it and that demystifies how to build a fence so now i know if i had to build a new fence i could do it I would need some more tools. I'd need the table saw and some other things, right? But sure. I know how to do it. And it might not look as good as this fence does, <laughs> but I can do it. And that's the same thing with hacking is like to be able to demystify some of this stuff and, and let somebody realize like, okay, fault injection's amazing. JTAG is cool. Like there's all these things. None of them are mysteries. It's just like you put in the effort and you can do it. And that ultimately is what is kind of what my life's path I feel like is. Yeah. between the trainings of which thankfully is mostly how it's sustaining my career of, you know, teaching hardware hacking, but it is the same sort of stuff of like, there's no secrets. Like I go into the class and, it, and it's the same, no matter where I am in the world of like, you can find all of this stuff online, but yeah. I'm here to help you guide you through the process and demystify that process and let you realize you can do it. And, and handhold them through some of the exercises. But by the end of that class, they're using the tools on their own to hack, hack a board. And, and that's same thing with the videos. Like that's the, that's my goal of all of this. If all of it goes away tomorrow and like suddenly nobody watches my videos and nobody <laughs> asks me to give a talk or whatever, like fine, I'm totally fine with that. Like the, the ego side is not even an issue. Like I yeah. don't, I, I, I if, if I could wear a mask and nobody would know that it was Joe Grand, I would still do it. Yeah, like because that's that's what's satisfying to me. What other people think it, it does not concern me, right? It's like what I what 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 I do to, to that I think is the right thing to do, and what I think how I can help people, and and really to see what other people do with stuff that I've done. Like that's really the the cool side of it. Not what not not the ego. Like that that was that was you know there was a time for that in my teenage years sure yeah <laughs> early in the hacker world like that's yeah. that was the time for the ego when you know when you're a kid and you're screwing around and you want to make a name for yourself that's what it was and even at the loft it was very much like yeah i'm a part of the loft like you better get that right, right. you know like yeah. very much a a, a a proud kind of moment um but now it's like you know whatever <laughs> well i just love the, doing it the wild thing to me is how like 
basically this has all changed in like your career lifespan you know like when you were coming up in the mid late 90s like all this stuff was not available online like you had to just figure shit out yourself like if you wanted to figure out how you know a motherboard worked you might be able to buy like the specs from the manufacturer but probably not you yeah. you just have to figure it out yourself or maybe you knew somebody that knew a little bit about it and then you did some experimentation like you know you see those old pictures of the loft and there's just stuff everywhere you know especially like your workspace is just <laughs> yeah. like yeah you know yeah you needed so you had to be dedicated right so even even before the loft if you think about you know the homebrew computer club like yeah. the early days of computing you had to search the stuff out yep you had to find the people that were like you you had to find the materials you needed you had to find the documentation you needed and part of that as a kid is why i got in trouble you know, when I got arrested, it was for breaking into the, the telephone company to get documentation and equipment because that was power. Like knowledge was power. You needed that stuff. Um, so you really had to put in the effort to to work on something, to mm -hmm. get what you needed out of it. Um, I think, you know, that's changed a lot because of the instant immediate gratification of the Internet and Google searching for something where even still a lot of times people don't even putting the effort to Google search something and just want something done for them. Totally. Um, and it's that it's the mindset I think has really shifted over these 30 something years where it's a lot less of the DIY hacker kind of punk anti-establishment mindset. And it is more of the just go along with the technology that we're given with the tools that we're given. Um, it, you know, entrust other people to do things that you could do yourself kind of kind of yeah. mindset yep and and I, I think that is harmful in a lot of ways and it also it is it, it's something where on one hand it's great because you can get so much information online and through conferences and, and talks and sure. everything if you're looking right um but i think there is just this general mindset that you just are accepting the accepting technology and accepting the uses and and the tools and and the limitations are, and yeah yeah that are that are given you know like uh that are given to you and and just using them at, at face value right yeah it's and i i don't know part of that might just be because of like the point we are in the evolution of hacking and security and computing in general like more has been done now than, you know, 25 years ago, people have figured out so much more stuff, you know, so there, there are scripts for everything. There is a tool set for almost everything you want to yeah, do. Yeah. You know, you don't have to learn it. You can just download a, a script somewhere and hit and the other key, you know, which is good and bad, right? It's sure. good because you can, well, okay. So it's bad because anybody can turn into a script kitty and not know what they're doing, but it can also be good because somebody who actually wants to learn can now look at that code, figure out what it's doing, modify it, build something new around it, get inspired and research it more, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's like the limited, the limited number. Like more people are just running the script than they are looking at it and continuing on with it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely appreciate that. You know, I mean, the whole the open source side of, of sharing everything um, much more than you know, somebody hoarding zero days and not sharing them or selling them for money or getting hush money to not disclose it. Yeah. Like that's sort of the, the, the seedy underbelly of the industry that 
kind of shows that there's a lot of people out there just to make to make money and and businesses protecting their corporate interests, which has always been that way. Yeah. Um, and not not the love of sharing the information and, and empowering people and inspiring people and educating people and, and all of that stuff. But there's lots of projects. Like I'm working on a project right now, not hacking related, but it's another sort of silly engineering project video that will that will come out later in the year. And um, it's a Raspberry Pi based system. And I've used Raspberry Pis for stuff before. I have a general sense of like working with Linux. Okay. Uh, and it's, you know, I, I had to learn a lot more about, uh, um, what the hell was it? Was it Python? Yeah, it was some, some like really abstracted thing with Python that I had to dig into grudgingly, but I had to, to get the code working, but I, you know, could at least look through existing code, example code for what I was trying to do. Yeah. And then... At make my own uh, custom plugin and modify things, but I had to learn a lot about an area that I never would have looked at otherwise, um, and I, I really wouldn't have had to do it. I wouldn't have been able to do it without that sort of open sample code and examples that other people have written. So I do value that in, in that way. Um, but I also know from experience of of releasing open source products uh, and hoping people build upon those to make other things is most people just use the tool as is yeah. some smaller percentage, look through the code and some even smaller percentage uh, modify the code and, you know, contribute it back in some way. Right. Which is, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Like it's, you know, it's fine either way. Uh, but it's definitely, you know, it's it definitely easier to find information now than it was, which, which, really makes it just easier for more people to, to get involved. Yeah. And hopefully more people get involved for good than, than annoying script kitty. But <laughs> right. you, know, you always have, you're, you're always going to have both. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you mentioned all the kind of like the unreadable amount of email you get now, just as a result of these yeah. videos from people asking you to do stuff or just being jerks or whatever. But I, I'm going to guess that you get a certain amount. That's also like, dude, I watched this. It inspired me to go do this. Like now I'm super interested in, you know, how the internals of this work, or I just oh, yeah. tried my first thing and it worked or I failed, but I learned this. Tons. And that's, and those are ones that are, that are actually really cool. And, um, you know, it's something where I, I, <laughs> I'd gotten one recently of a guy that was like, I, I was an engineer at Apple. I've worked at, you know, autonomous something at Google and like, you know, real, serious engineering career. And he's like, I, I got inspired by watching prototype this as a kid. Oh shit. And that was 2007 when it came out. It's like, damn, I feel old. But the fact that he watched that show got inspired by engineering and then became a professional engineer to build technologies that like we are now relying on and using is is crazy to even think about that is and, wild. Oh and there's been God. a lot of those, even with more recent stuff, you know, like just videos of, uh, you know, that, that looks so fun. I wanted to be an engineer or yeah. I changed. There was one, I think it was at somebody came up to me at black hat one year and they were like, I, I saw one of your talks and got so inspired that I quit my job and started go going into cybersecurity. Damn. And like, yeah, it's really crazy. You know, I mean, everybody, has to ultimately make their own choice of what they want to do. But the fact that things I've done has resonated with people in that way. Yeah. Um, is kind of cool. I and think. like, 
like the fact that it's and that's the ripple effect of of hacking in my opinion or a really a, a ripple effect of of being positive because you can have a ripple effect of being negative too right like if somebody flips you off in the car when you're driving you're going to then be aggressive to the next person who's sure. going to do something so it is this ripple effect and having a ripple effect in a positive way and seeing those things means that that person is now going to possibly inspire somebody else to do something good, right? Like somebody might say they might love the Nintendo Switch and somebody who helped design the Nintendo Switch could have been inspired by something else, right? So it is this thing of like this positive, this kind of positive, I guess a positive echo chamber, maybe not even echo chamber, but this positive kind of domino effect or ripple effect of keeping people interested and getting inspired, um, which, which is which is the good side of all of it. And that's, that's really the, that's always what I try to think about more than anything else Yeah, is, you know, like my, my time here is going to be limited. And while I'm here, I'm going to just do, do projects that I want that I think are interesting and share those, but to, to have those last for somebody, to, somebody else to get into it, to do something good. Yeah. Hopefully they do something good and they don't just create some completely overbearing, you know, technology <laughs> that, yeah. monitors us all or puts us in some other you know makes it easy more easy for governments to surveil us or whatever it is but like hopefully they use the technology and things they've developed for good yeah um, but it's cool like that's really like that that is as close as we come to a you know i think a real community is is that positive reinforcement of yeah. of of things right and sharing the knowledge that you've accrued over the you know the lifespan of your career and all the things that you've, you know, accumulated and, you know, letting other people benefit from the work that you've done is, you know, yeah. And I think the knowledge at. is knowledge in <laughs> the experience, good and bad, right? Like there's Absolutely. The, the failures of things that didn't work, um, whether it's a technical failure or it's, you know, what I consider, you know, like when we sold the loft to start at stake, like there are lessons in life that, that are interesting. And I love being able to, share those and like yeah there's some cynicism that comes with it and some skepticism which i've always had anyway but that's the reality of the world is like there's going to be good and there's going to be bad but if we can kind of focus on the good elements yeah. of things and like turn somebody on to a world maybe they hadn't known before yep that that's cool because you never know what they're going to end up doing with it that hopefully will help us yeah or helps the next generation Right, exactly. And it turns out life is a lot easier and a lot more fun if you're positive and you're helping people, you know, like, yes, I've learned that recently. I mean, that was only in the past, you know, I've always done it with engineering, but just as life in general, like, you know, COVID was the the shutdown and stuff was a a, a great time to kind of reassess life. Yeah. And um, I got, I, I started meditating, which is something that I've, I've been meaning to do for a long time, but I actually had broken my foot on a trail run. I don't remember if we talked about this. Yeah. Um, broken my foot on a trail run and was, you know, basically I couldn't, I couldn't put weight on the foot for nine months or something. And I was working, you know, so I, I worked on a lot of projects, got a lot of work done, but at the same time, it's like, all right, I, I couldn't run. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do any exercise. Like what can I do instead? All right. I, let's, you know, I got to put my foot up um, to reduce swelling. Like let's, listen to podcasts and it's like, all right, I've listened to all the podcasts. Let's start <laughs> meditating. And it was like that, that was a, a life changing, literal mind changing sort of thing. That is a constant effort because it's hard to stay positive, you know, especially it's with really everything hard. that's going on 
yeah. even if even just in your own little bubble, it's hard to stay positive. Yeah. Um, but that has been a real game changer on a day-to-day basis. Uh, especially I think, you know, we talk about mental health more and more in the, in the hacker world and, and infosec and cybersecurity and stuff. Um, but especially becoming, I don't know if I would say becoming a public figure or whatever you want to say, like being more visible to the outside world instead of just the hacker world yeah. with these videos, you have to, you can't look at all the negative stuff or you will just be in a pit of despair and annoyed and pissed off all the time. At least I would, which is why I don't read the comments and stuff. Like you it's can't. just, you can't, it would, it would be horrible and yep. I would never want to work on projects and it would like, it would, you know, mentally ruin me. Um, so I think the meditation has helped kind of prepare me for this and uh, let me kind of be grateful and, and acknowledge the, 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 the things that I should focus on. Yeah. Right. And, and like the family and, and the projects and my friends and not, and, and trying to help everybody in a positive way, but not individually in a positive way. <laughs> that will drive you crazy, dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's not possible, but yeah, in the, the larger sense, it is possible. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's the thing is, is, um, somebody, I can't remember who had said it was one friend of ours in, in the industry, very well-known, uh, very uh, just super friendly, helpful contributes in all sorts of different ways had said to me, like, you know, the, the fact that you're, you're, you're doing these things and reaching thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people all in one go is amazing. Like that's, that's, yeah. you know, the, where a lot of us are, you know, again, it's all come, it comes down to like, we're just doing this because we like to do it. But the fact that it's reaching all those people means we can hopefully get them involved in the community because we need more people and we need more blood and we need, we, we need all types of different people coming in um, as this continual influx of, of the community. And we need the ones that aren't, that, that don't say, can you do this for me? Yeah. But that say, this is awesome. I want to go try to do this on my own. Yep. Yeah. It's, you should be really proud of it, man. I mean, it's not just super cool, you know, wizard stuff that you did on a hardware <laughs> wallet, but like, you know, reaching that many people and showing them that like this stuff is possible if you put your mind to it, you know, it's not actually magic. It just takes hard work, um, you know, and some dedication and some curiosity and, you know, you can, you can do it too. You know, it yeah. sounds like an yeah, after school special, but you know, right. it, <laughs> no, you can, well, the thing is, it, <laughs> you, you know, do it. it's, it's like, um, I'm just reminded by like seeing some of your pictures in the background. It's like, there's a lot of people that love sports, but will never be a professional athlete. Right. But you can be a hacker. Like you can get involved. You can be a programmer. You can get involved in this, in, in technology and get involved in things. And yes, some of it is, is, you know, like maybe you need to go to school to be taught. Maybe you might, maybe you won't have the, the exact, you know, the hacker mindset or whatever it is. Like you can learn these things. You can get into it where it is something, you know, like growing up with the, in like the, the hardcore scene, like the punk music scene yeah. of there was a thing there. Like, you know, what, what a lot of people gravitated towards being in bands in that scene is like, you didn't have to be a musician. You just had to love the music and you would eventually play a few power chords and 
yell into the mic and you'd have a band. And like when I played in a, in a band in Boston, it was that same thing of like, I can play, I can play drums somewhat competently, but like, I wouldn't consider myself a drummer, but it was enough to be in a punk band. Right. And that's a thing of like hacking same thing, right? Like it, if you have the interest, if you have that seed of interest, you can do it where there's just other careers that you just can't do that with. And that's, that's what's so cool about it is people is, is having, especially having kids realize that. Yeah. I like, was going to ask you about one yeah. thing, having, having kids realize like, that's a career that I want to do. Like, I want to do that for my life. Like, that's awesome. Um, so it is, yeah, I kind of feel like a Tony Robbins or something, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it really is like, that's ultimately what it comes down to is like, this stuff is, is, uh, it's, a, it's open and accessible to anybody that puts their mind to it. Yeah. Which is the cool thing. Yeah. Well, I know I've taken up a ton of your time, man. This is awesome. I love catching up with you. It's super fun to do this. I'd talk to you for six hours if, if yeah. you could, but I know you've got- <laughs> well, uh, I know it's awesome seeing you again too. Yeah, absolutely. I hope to see you in person. You're going to be in Vegas this summer? Yeah. I so I'll be, I'll be at Black Hat and DEF CON. Cool. Um, I'm actually, so I'm doing my trainings at Black Hat, which are sold out, which is awesome. Nice. Um, I'm participating in a panel- on Saturday at DEF CON about the right to repair. Oh, cool. So basically providing kind of a hacker security context to the whole argument that, you know, big companies are saying, well, users are too stupid to repair their own stuff. Oh or there's a security risk if a, if, a, if a customer replaces their battery or their screen of their thing or whatever it is. Like, you know, so it really, it's a, it's a kind of fun area because it's, it's David versus Goliath. Totally. You know, like yeah. to, to force these companies to let you fix things that you own is kind of like it was of forcing companies to acknowledge security problems back in the 90s. Yeah. But it takes a lot of, you know, directed, concerted effort from a lot of small, in quotes, you know, small people, our small community yep. versus these massive mega corporation, multi-billion dollar, uh, you know, with political lobbying all of this crap. Yeah. Um, so it's fun to kind of, to, to do that and, and go, go up against those guys. And that's, this panel is to, to try to spark more interest in the hacker community of like, this is what's happening to the outside world that could eventually affect all of us as hackers, but also right. all of us as consumers of products. Yep. Um, and, and, and people in suits are, are spreading all sorts of FUD and BS about the reality of technology. And like, one of our roles as, as hackers is to educate the mainstream outside of our bubble about what we can do and about what technology can do. Um, so yeah, that'll be fun. And then, uh, yeah, going to tour camp, which I'm really oh, nice. excited about. <laughs> and what else? A couple other, couple other events here and there. Awesome. Um, but it's good. It's nice to be back back in person and, and, uh, and start seeing people again. Yeah, it really is. It just like, I usually dread RSA, but just being there a few weeks ago and like seeing humans that I haven't yeah. seen in three years, <laughs> is pretty incredible. You know, it's, it's just like amazing. It's like, yeah, Oh my yeah. God, now I remember why I like you or, you know, why we get along so well or things that you just like, oh, or, or why I don't, or that too. There was a yeah. few of those. You're just like, Oh yeah, that's right. I can't stand you. <laughs> but it is also like what I realized too, during COVID is like, Oh, it's, I love seeing my friends and I love giving talks and I love being on stage, yeah. but like a lot of socializing is like, I'm super awkward and like, I, 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 I could fake it really well. Um, so it actually kind of nice to not have to go to all of these things for a while, but now I'm actually like, I, again, I've changed my perspective 
And I'm, yeah. I'm very excited to be able to go and see friends of mine and just, I don't have to do the awkward socializing because I'll just go away. No, you pick and no, choose. I don't yeah. have to do it. No. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be awesome to see people and like, uh, keep, keep, keep on doing stuff. Keep yeah. on hacking. Can't wait. All right, man. Well, this is a blast. Thank you so much for doing it. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, thank uh, you. Everybody go check out Joe's videos. They're incredible. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks again him. for having me. And thanks anytime, um, man. everybody for listening. And yeah, check out, uh, let's see, at Joe Grand on Twitter yes. is the only thing I really, I really use, but not even that often. Um, Grand Idea Studio is where all the stuff is if you want to learn things. And then, of course, YouTube, um, just search for Joe Grand. It and comes up quickly. There. And yeah, hopefully yeah. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have more videos and, and more fun stuff. But you know, it's like, you never know what's coming. I never know what's coming. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> That's the best part. Even you don't know. I love <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. It's all a mystery. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I'll see you in a few weeks in Vegas. Can't wait. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, Joe. Thanks, man. All right. See ya. Yeah.